reading this morning comes from the book of Mark, chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on, the very first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. All right, you guys can have a seat and happy Easter Providence. You guys excited? We're feeling good this morning. As Jared said, we don't usually dress up too much, but it's Easter morning. And so I'm going to see how it feels preaching in a suit. So we'll figure that out. But uh, we're excited. We're excited. This is our first Easter gathering. And today we are celebrating that our God did not stay dead, but is alive. Right Today, we are celebrating that Jesus isn't just an old religious figure. He is alive and he is reigning today. And today, we celebrate that this message of what Jesus has done changes lives. Amen? Today, we are celebrating. And let me say this before we begin. Um, if you're brand new, if this is your very first Sunday, um, I, I don't know if this comes across weird. I'm just going to, our card's on the table. I want you to know, uh, we have been praying for you the last couple weeks. This is your first time we have prayed for a couple weeks um, that you would come. We may not have known your name or exactly who you were, but we prayed that you would be here this morning and that God would speak to you. And we believe that he's going to do that, all right? And so we're glad that you are here. Uh, and if you've been a part of Providence for a while, if this is your home church, uh, today's a fun day because it's our very first Easter gathering, right? We're seven months old. This is the first time we get to celebrate Easter and Jesus' resurrection together. And so it's a, it's a joy for us. Now, if you have been coming for a while... Uh, hopefully, uh, you know, for the better part of seven months, we have been studying the Gospel of Mark. So for seven months, for most of those uh, weeks, we've been studying the Gospel of Mark, which is uh, a man's account of the life of Jesus. And what I've loved about this series is that we've gotten to see uh, who Jesus is, right? Like what he did, the things that he said, what he liked, what he didn't like. We got to see the character in the man Jesus. But I'll tell you, one of the other things that I love about this Mark series is not just looking at the life of Jesus 2,000 years ago, but seeing what Jesus has done in our church through this series. Let, let me just tell you a couple stories. I, I talked to a guy uh, earlier who said that, that Providence has been his first church experience. He, he had not grown up going to church. This was the first time that he was connected into a church. And he said that through Providence and through the uh, series in Mark, 
He told me, you know, for the first time, I realized that Christianity isn't just about rules and regulations, but it's about a relationship with Jesus. For the first time, he saw that through the Gospel of Mark. Uh, there, was, there was another lady that I talked to, and, and she said, you know, when we're looking at the stories in Mark, I see Jesus, and he seems to care about the outcasts. He seems to love those who no one else loves, the sick and the, the hurting. And she said, you know, if Jesus loves people like that, maybe he could love me too. For the first time, she thought, maybe Jesus might love me. Let, let me give you one more. I, I talked to a couple guys. We did a baptism service in November right here. We baptized eight people that met Jesus, which was exciting. And we talked about that day, how Jesus is king, that he's Christ. He's the one over all. And a couple young guys came up to me afterwards and they said, you know, I've been following Jesus for a while, but there are certain things in my life that Jesus is not king over, that I have had a tight grip on. And starting today, I want to surrender those things to Jesus and actually follow him in faith. Can you believe this? I mean, this is awesome. Jesus is changing lives here at Providence Church. And I got to tell you guys, I think that Jesus is doing these things in our church, that Jesus has the power to actually change people's lives because of the story that we're going to read this morning. I think primarily the reason that Jesus can change lives is because of what we're going to see this morning. Because if this story, if this story isn't true, if what we're looking at today, if it's not true, then those stories I don't think happen. Right? If this story that we're going to look at today, if it's not true, then Christianity has no power. Right? It, it's, it's, it's void. There, there's no power in Christianity. If this story is not true, then what we're doing here, all this celebration, all of the people here gathering together, meaningless. But if it is true, if this story is true, it changes everything. It changes everything. The resurrection of Jesus changes everything. He, he changes lives. He changes families. He changes addicts. He changes stories. He changes the world. And listen, he can change you too this morning. I believe that God wants to speak and he wants you to know that he can change you too this morning. So um, let's get into the story that I believe changed history. All right? So if you got a Bible, uh, will you go to the Gospel of Mark? So uh, if you're new to your Bible, if you don't have a Bible, there's some on the aisles. Otherwise, we're going to throw it up on the screen in a minute. Uh, but if you're new, just it's in the New Testament. So flip to the latter half of the Bible uh, and you'll run across it. We're going to be in Mark chapter 16, the very last chapter in the book of Mark. And as we do that, uh, we're entering into the, the final scene right, of this story. And so if you're brand new, what you've missed is that uh, on Friday, not two days ago, but, but literally like a Friday, 2,000 years ago, Jesus was killed on a cross. He died on a cross. He shed his blood. They took him off the cross. They wrapped him in these linens. They placed him in a tomb where he lay dead. Now we're going to pick up the scene early Sunday morning, a few days later. And as we do that, I just want to simply look at two things this morning. I want to look at two things about Easter morning, and I want us to consider how that might change us this morning. So all I want to do is look at the expectations of Easter and then the message of Easter. All right, the expectations of Easter 
and the message of Easter. So if you've got a Bible, go Mark 16. We're going to start in verse 1. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on, the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? So our scene begins Sunday morning, 2,000 years ago, with three women who, are, who, who have followed Jesus, who loved Jesus, who knew him, and they walk up to his burial site. Now we see from the first couple of verses that these women, their intent, the whole, the whole thing they were expecting to do that morning was to go with these spices uh, and anoint his body. Now, uh, for some of us, that may seem weird. We don't really do that, right? And so, uh, but for them, this was just kind of, it was just a tradition for them. So if a, if a loved one, if a family member died, you would uh, put the spices on the body, you'd anoint the body before you sealed it and it was, uh, and you would never go Back. Now, they were en route to carry out this tradition of, of their friend, but I want you to think about how um, bleak this might be for them. Right? They, had, they had followed Jesus for, for years, probably. They knew him. He was going to be their leader, their Messiah. He was their hero. And at the beginning of Mark chapter 16, he is just simply the, the mere subject of a tradition. That's it. There's nothing left. All they expect this morning is to find him in his tomb, and they just want to carry out a tradition. But there was one big problem for them. You see this in verse 3. They ask the question, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? You see, what happens with these tombs is that it was kind of in the the side of a rock, and they would cut out a stone, and what they would do is they would cut a groove into the rock. So not only was the stone enormous and tough to move, but when you sealed it, it kind of locked into place so that it was very, very difficult to ever remove. They did this so nobody would steal bodies, so the smell and stuff wouldn't get out, so animals wouldn't get in. They had to seal it so it was almost impossible for anybody to get in. So the women, they're walking up to the tomb, and they begin to ask the question, how exactly is this going to work? Right? I mean, there are three women walking up to the tomb that's basically sealed shut, and they're thinking, who's going to roll away this stone for us, right? The Roman officials that just killed Jesus, they're probably not going to do it, right? The, uh, the group of men that maybe they could ask to help and see if they could move it, they're all cowering in some room somewhere. These three women are facing an impossible situation. There's no possible way that they could go to this tomb and the three of them could remove this stone. The expectations for the first Easter morning uh, were quite bleak. The women, they, they faced two things. They faced a dead Jesus and a really big stone. They had this low view of Jesus that morning and this really big view of a very big problem in their life. And so, if that's the expectations for the first Easter morning, I, I wonder, what are our expectations for this Easter morning? 
Well, what are, what are your expectations for this morning? You're here to, to at least remember or consider or hear about this man, Jesus. And I wonder, what are the expectations that you brought with you when you walked in the door this morning? I, I think that there, um, when we see the women, they, they have kind of two different areas. They have the, the, the Jesus, the dead Jesus, and they have the big stone. And so I just want us to consider what, what those might look like for us this morning. So let me start with the view of Jesus. So consider, what is your expectation from Jesus this morning? I think there's probably a few common ones that most of us might fit into. The, the first one, I would say, uh, is a common view that uh, maybe you're here and you honestly would say, Jesus is unimportant. Right? I mean, if we just, if everyone can be honest, you might be here solely because your family or your friends have been inviting you for a very long time. And so you're just kind of here to say you went so you don't have to come back. Right? I mean, that, I know that that might be some of you. We get it. Like, that's okay. You're not hiding anything. Like, we get that. You might be here just thinking, I'm here to just hear a quick sermon, sing a few songs, and I'm out so that I can keep saying no to my family and friends to going to church. All right, maybe you think in your mind, your expectation is simply, look, Jesus just is not important. Maybe there's a, a second camp, one that I think maybe these women fell into that would say, Jesus is mere tradition. Jesus is just tradition. And so what this might look like is that your expectation this morning is that you're going to come and just kind of fulfill some sort of religious tradition. Maybe you grew up going to church on Easter. Uh, maybe you did as a kid and now you've got kids and so you want them to, to go to church uh, once in a while. And, and really, you're just here this morning just to carry out a tradition, some sort of ritual. You really don't value Jesus that much. It's just a simple tradition. Maybe the third one uh, is the idea and the expectation that, that Jesus is really just a role model. Right, like Maybe you come to church frequently, and, and you like hearing stories about Jesus, and you like hearing how Jesus lived and how he was a good man, and that this Easter, it's the pinnacle of sacrifice and, and redemption. And you see that, and you kind of think, man, I think what God expects from me is just to kind of follow in his footsteps. Maybe for you, Jesus is just simply a role model. He's somebody that you want to look like, live your life like, and so you come to church and you try to be a good person. You do one good thing every day. You try to pe- treat people well, recycle, do all the kind of stuff so that you're good to the people and the world and everything's good. And your expectation is simply that Jesus is a role model for you to follow. Let me give you one more. I think the fourth one, um, if you're here and you, you're, a, you're a, a devout follower of Jesus, you have trusted in Jesus to save your soul. I think we too can slip into a view that Jesus is only a savior. Jesus is only a savior. Now, he is a savior. He saves our soul. He redeems us. But I wonder if you're here this morning with the expectation that it's really more that we just kind of come to church to, to pay homage to Jesus, right? To, to kind of, you know, show that we love you and that we care for you and we know that you've saved us and you're kind of living life just kind of waiting for him to return or for you to go to heaven. Maybe your expectation isn't that he is a powerful 
king who lives and rules and reigns today, but we just kind of sit and we try to have a good Christian life. And he's just simply a, a savior of our soul, but he's not actually active in our life. Maybe you, you don't have very high expectations for what Jesus can do. I wonder if like the women in the story, you've come this morning with maybe low expectations for Jesus. Maybe in your mind you view Jesus as simply a dead man, an old religious figure, uh, a nice friend who saved me but doesn't really matter. Along with expecting a dead Jesus, these women also faced another problem. They didn't just think Jesus was dead, but he was behind an enormous stone. This impossible situation, this big stone that they faced. And I wonder, again, if, if, if there might be a big stone in your life this morning. Maybe there's something in your life this morning that you've walked in and it's just plaguing you. It's just weighing on you and you feel like it is impossible to roll away. I wonder for some of you if it's a a relationship in your life that you feel like maybe that relationship, it's gone too far. The fracture seems too deep. Your spouse seems too distant. Your kids seem like they've wandered too far. There's been too many words said, too many harmful things done. And in your mind, you've walked in this morning feeling the weight of the impossibility of a relationship being restored. Maybe for others, it's uh, what you do during your days, most of the week, it's just simply your job, and you feel like, man, I have been busting my butt, and it never seems to go right. Everything seems to crumble. The clients aren't coming in. The money is not adding up. The boss is not showing any sort of favor. The person who cheats the system and cuts the corner seems to be rising up faster than me. Maybe you're here and you think, I just hate working at my job and it feels impossible to ever do something I love. What about for some? I wonder if this morning... The impossible situation in your life is the impossibility of getting sober. Right? I mean, maybe you've had this addiction for weeks or months or years. And it's just weighing on your heart and you think there is no chance that I could ever be freed from this. Maybe you're here and you think the, the, the chance of me not picking up that next bottle, impossible. The, the chance of me not visiting that website, Impossible. The chance of me not calling that guy or girl late at night, impossible. Maybe there's something that just feels like you are enslaved to, and the idea of being free this morning seems impossible. Maybe it's loneliness or depression, anxiety or fear. What is the big stone in your life where maybe you've walked in this morning and you're wondering, who in the world could ever roll this away? How in the world could it ever be possible for me to be freed from this? Maybe like the women this morning, we are facing a dead Jesus and a really big stone. If that's you this morning, I want you to really hear these next few verses. I want you to read with me and listen with me to the message of Easter, the message that I think has the power to change anything. Look at Mark 16 again, 
starting in verse 4. And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. Rightfully so. Uh, And he said to them, do not be alarmed. Easier said than done. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. But he is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. So the women, they reach the tomb. They reach this situation that seems so bleak. And they experience two things. They experience that the impossible has happened. And their expectations were shattered. They walk up to this tomb and they see the impossible took place and their expectations were utterly shattered. I mean, remember, they're coming here just out of tradition. They have no expectation that anything crazy is going to happen except that there might be a chance they roll this stone away, but even that isn't even really crossing their minds, right? No expectations. Look at verse 4. It says that as they approached, the stone had been rolled back. Now, in in the other gospel accounts, uh, we see that it was actually God who sent an angel to roll back the stone. So God is the one who rolled this stone away. And I want you to think about something for a second. Um, How would you answer this question? I I had not thought about this, honestly, until this week. I never thought about this. But answer this question. Why did God roll the stone away? Why did God... Roll away the stone. Just think about it for a moment. Why would he do this? Now my first answer, which maybe some of you thought, my first answer was, well, he rolled the stone away so that Jesus could get out, right? I mean, Jesus had to get out, so he rolls the stone, Jesus is up, he walks out. Now, even though that was my first answer, I, I don't think that what was going on is that Jesus rose and he just began like banging on the rock. Like, hey God, I'm here. Like, it's claustrophobic. Can you let me out? Right? I don't think, I don't think that's what happened. Right? Because in the other gospels, we see that when Jesus rose from the dead, he actually began walking through walls. He, he vanished at one point, just out of like thin air. Right? He, he, the, the constraints on an earthly human body just didn't seem to be a problem for anymore. When he rose from the dead, his glorified body, walls and stones and rocks and space itself was just not a barrier. It was not a barrier to him. So if that's true, if Jesus most likely probably just vanished from the grave, he just left the tomb, then the question is, why would God do it? Why would he roll away the stone? Now I think... Let me say this, I I don't think that God rolled away the stone because Jesus needed it rolled away. I think that God rolled away the stone because we need it rolled away. I think that God rolled away the stone to show the women that morning and to show us this morning that what seems impossible for man is completely possible for God. 
that, that God is a God who can do the impossible, that there are no restrictions around what God can do. I think he rolled away the stone as a demonstration to us this morning that the things that seem impossible can be done by God. And I think that the women were just getting started when they saw this stone rolled away. When they saw the impossible situation in their life rolled away, they walk into the tomb and they hear this. Now entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on a right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified, but he is risen. He is not here. They came expecting a dead Jesus behind an impossibly big stone. And the angel calls that out. He says, look, you seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. What he's saying is, I know what you're expecting this morning. He's saying, look, you're looking for the man, Jesus. You're looking for the man who was crucified. You're looking for the man who was laid here on Friday night. You are expecting this morning for Jesus to be dead. I think this morning God might be speaking to us saying, look, I know what you were expecting this morning. God knows what you were expecting. You might have expected just sing a couple songs, hear a message, and then walk away being totally unfazed. You may have expected to feel a certain thing, to think a certain thing, to respond in a certain way, and to believe that God really can't change you or make you new. And I want you to know that God knows what you were expecting this Easter morning. And if you're here this morning simply expecting to kind of memorialize this dead religious figure, I want you to hear the words in verse 6 one more time. And I want this to be God speaking to your soul this morning, saying you came seeking Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. You came expecting very little. You came expecting nothing from God, but he is risen. He is risen this morning. Friends, you may have come with low expectations, but I believe that this morning Jesus wants to shatter them. You may have come not expecting anything, but I think that he wants you to leave changed because he is not dead. He is not helpless. He is not weak. He is not lowly. He did not lose, but Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. He is risen and he has power and he is alive today and he is reigning as the king of the universe and he has the power to change lives. You may have come expecting Jesus to be dead and you need to hear he is risen. You may be living your life as if Jesus has no real power or interest and you need to hear he is risen. You may be here this morning functionally expecting nothing and you need to hear he is risen. You may be here this morning facing an impossible circumstance in your life and I want you to hear he is risen. So let me end this morning by just asking you to consider where your faith is at this morning. Where's your faith this morning? What's interesting about Mark's account of the resurrection is that we actually don't see the resurrected Jesus, right? In this story, we don't actually see him. They simply hear the message and they're confronted with where they're going to place their faith. Do they believe the message that they heard 
or not. So I want to ask you this morning, as you leave this morning, is your faith in a dead Jesus and a big stone? Or is your faith in a risen Jesus and a rolled away stone? Is your faith in the fact that God does the impossible And the most impossible thing of all, Jesus raised from the dead and is alive today. Is your faith in that? You know, many people believe that uh, Mark's gospel actually ends at verse 8. Right? Maybe, maybe in your Bibles you see it has a note that says that the earliest scripts we have, it ends in verse 8. And so you'll see a little bit more, but a lot of people don't believe that that's uh, really in Mark's initial gospel. And um, I'm not going to go into more detail that. For the 95% of you that don't care, I'll leave it at that. If you want to know more, you can ask me later. But I believe that the gospel ends at verse 8. And it's so interesting because Mark ends the gospel in a peculiar way. There's no risen Jesus. And it says the women left afraid. They walk away. The very last phrase in the gospel is that they left afraid. And I think it's because the following Jesus, responding to this message, truly believing this is scary. Like if we can be honest, actually going all in with this, truly believing that Jesus died and rose again, truly believing that Jesus has power, truly walking all in with faith in Jesus can be scary. And I think it ends this way to kind of put the ownership on you. So are you going to walk away this morning in fear or will you respond in faith? Are you going to walk away this morning with your eyes fixed on the impossible situations in your life or are you going to walk away believing that God rolled away the stone, that Jesus rose again from the dead? For some of you, maybe this is the, the first time that you've heard this message, or maybe this is the first time that you've really heard this message. Uh, that, that what God is doing in your heart now is stirring this idea of placing your faith in him, of actually trusting in the one who does the impossible, trusting in the one who can save your soul, trusting in the one who takes your guilt and your shame And he offers you forgiveness, he offers you honor, he offers you power. Would you not let this moment pass? Would you not walk out the door unfazed? But would you respond in faith this morning? For the very first time, would you place your faith faith in the fact that Jesus is alive today and that he can save you? For anyone else in the room who, who maybe this is something deep in your soul, I don't want us to think that we're immune to this. I know that our hearts can drift. My heart drifts often from faith to fear. We're all here a message and it just seems too scary to follow Jesus. And I would ask, would this morning be a pinnacle point in your walk with God to say that I'm turning, I'm walking in faith. I'm gonna believe that God does the impossible. I'm gonna believe that God wants to work through me. I'm gonna believe in God this morning. Would we as a church family walk in wholehearted faith, believing that God does the impossible and that Jesus is alive today? Amen? Let me pray. Father, God, we we just celebrate because you are 
so good that you would send your son to not only die, but that you would raise him from the dead. And Jesus, we pray now that you would make yourself real, you would make yourself known to people in the room. God, we need you to help us do the impossible. We need you to face these situations. We need you to change our our hearts and our expectations. And so God, would you do that this morning? Would we believe that you are alive, that you have risen from the grave? God, would you help us to walk in faith this morning? We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.